0: Hey, really good friends. This episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take care of yourself. Hello and welcome
1: to Historically Really Good Friends,
0: a queer history podcast.
1: I'm Rachel Craig
0: and I'm Jared Femblo. Hi, how's it going?
1: It's Going. It is going. I am in isolation right now
0: from Why? COVID
1: exposure. <gasps> um, what? Yes, but I, I'm i fine. I think I'm fine. I recently, before I saw you in January, had COVID and I'm mm-hmm. like triple vaxxed. Vaccines are real, people. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard. There's a pandemic going on. You should get a vaccine anyway triple vaxxed this gal is so i'm hoping i'm fine but i'm in oh my God. Um, isolation for a little bit
0: so you're home from work
1: yes yeah, <laughs> i'm that's... home from work it's it's a positive that i'm home from work but i also mm-hmm. felt really bad because i was supposed to be in the office this week because my boss is out so then i had to be like "Ooh, i'm sorry, sorry. like i can't go in like i kind of freaked yeah. everything up
0: but you have like a legitimate excuse that's
1: that's true.
0: It's a real precaution that you're taking
1: it yeah, that's true so um, I should be good though soon I have no symptoms woohoo good so yeah oh my How gosh.
0: are you I'm good, yeah, I am uh knock on wood healthy. I don't think I have Yay. covid I don't have healthy enough. Yeah, you just had enough. that weird
1: knee thing going on. So
0: yeah, I did. I injured my knee, both of my knees. Um, not. It was a few weeks ago at this point. Um, I don't know what I think. It wasn't.
1: I, it wasn't a salacious accident, by the way, for our listeners. No,
0: it, I <laughs> tried walking up a hill in flat shoes, and mm-hmm. my body now. Um, in my mid-20s is already saying <laughs> no to offense uh, like that so um, I got some some damage to my knees and I rested them and I did what I could um, and you, you riced know, them I did rice them apparently rice is not real um,
1: okay for our listeners if you don't know rice Jared do you want to tell them what rice is
0: I want nothing more RICE is, it's like a series of steps of things you do after you injure yourself. And it stands for rest, ice, compression, and elevate. I did do that, but I'm good now. I, I I'm glad. RICE did enough and I'm healed and I am whole.
1: So so RICE does work because honestly, it shattered my world just a little bit when you told me that apparently according to doctors mm-hmm. or according something. To,
0: according to the <laughs> guy that invented it. I could, wait, okay. actually, uh, disclaimer. I could be 1000% wrong. To, neither of <laughs> us are medical professionals.
1: I hope that you are wrong because I want nothing more than fr- if rice isn't real, what is? You know what I mean? I need mm-hmm. that to be real.
0: Mm hmm. Couscous, quinoa. <laughs> Are, are real <laughs> grains very real grains? That's
1: true. That's true. We we do have other fallback grains, mm-hmm. but rice is the shortest one, so we can't make really an acronym. Not basmati. Out of
0: no, basmati. No, no, no. The shortest. Oh, acronym.
1: Right. The shortest acronym. So, like, mm-hmm. if you you want to take like a quinoa, like how many words do you know that start with Q that are also related to quick? Um. Quick okay. utilization. Okay. Quick. Quick.
0: <laughs> quick quick <laughs> quick Utilize
1: Use there you Utilize
0: go. injured How do you spell keen ma It's Q U I, right? Keen
1: Q U I N O A.
0: Alright. You know quick, what? quick 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 utilize Utilize injured, ice
1: ice ice Utilize
0: ice necessarily near. near Okay. Open Um Arteries Areas. Areas There you go. Wow. We did
1: it. So we did it. It's if, the new rice. If rice, so if we, rice you, isn't
0: working, quinoa it.
1: Yes, definitely. Quinoa your injuries, everybody. You heard mm-hmm. it here first. Um, for a speedy recovery, mm-hmm. use quinoa.
0: Great. I'm so glad we, we did, did this.
1: We're, this podcast is really informative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is in, a health in podcast. In so many now. aspects. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So You can come to us for all your needs. Just a one-stop shop here at HerGof.
0: Mm-hmm. And that that's it. So thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> <Appreciate> um, <it. laughs> do you actually want to take care of some podcast housekeeping while we're at I it? I would,
1: I would, because you know we're giving you all this great content, all this great material. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, life hacks, queer history, medical mm-hmm. advice. Please mm-hmm. don't take it seriously. I think we deserve to just give a brief moment to some housekeeping.
0: Yeah, so the first thing, um, I guess right up top, just letting everybody know, we do have an Instagram. It is at historically really. We post photos from both of our topics every single week. So if you wanna see kind of supplementary photos, go check it out at historically really. The next thing that we wanna mention is we wanna hear from you. We wanna hear your stories. If you have like a really funny coming out story or like a really tender coming out story, or if you like, you have a really funny moment when you knew you were queer story, like a realization, or if you have someone in your life that is a queer figure that has meant something to you, that might not necessarily get exposure like some of the figures and, and other topics that we talk about on our podcast. We would love to read your story on the podcast about them and kind of give them the limelight that they deserve. So you can send in any of your stories to friends at gmail.com. Just put in the subject listener story just so we know what it is and and every week we'll pick a few and um, read them either at the end of an episode or in like a a mini episode. We'll figure it out. Just start sending in your stories first and then and then we'll take it from there.
1: (laughs) We'll take it from there. We're so Mm -hmm. excited to hear from you though. We have appreciated learning about these historical figures but I think it would be even more meaningful to get to hear from some of you and have the honor and privilege to share some of your stories, but please write what you want us to read. Mm -hmm. Um, We will not, you know, add things to the people that you don't want us to. We're not that um, humorous or creative. So (laughs) write, write a lovely narrative for us Mm -hmm. to read and hear, hear, it out of our mouths
0: <laughs> because that's what everyone's been asking for
1: that's what you've been <laughs> begging for so here we are giving the people what they want Delivering. more of this yes.
0: absolutely and then the last thing that we kind of just want to throw right up front is um please feel free and
1: feel more you- than free feel inclined <laughs>
0: feel inclined to find us on whatever podcast streaming service You listen to us on, give us a follow, give us a rating, give us a review if you can. Um, It does help us in the long run, and we want to hear what you think about how we're doing and kind of how our format is, and we appreciate all the feedback so far, and thanks for listening.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: With that housekeeping all cleaned up and tidied, let's get into our stories.
1: Let's do it!
0: Okay. Okay. So this week, I'm going to be talking to you about the argument over Bert and Ernie.
1: I am so thrilled about this. I saw it on our topic list, but honestly got a little overwhelmed by the arguments themselves. Um, so saved this topic for someone else to teach me about.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you um, why why it might be part of the gay agenda and, and maybe why it might not be. Okay. So... The sources I used for this week are the fight over Sesame Street's Bert and Ernie as a gay couple explained by Aja Romano, why it matters that Bert and Ernie are gay, which they are, by Elizabeth Simmons, are Bert and Ernie gay, Sesame Street writer says his comments were misinterpreted, by Sarah Mervash, the Sesame Street Wikipedia page, the Bert and Ernie Wikipedia page, and the Muppet Wiki.
1: All right. I want to spend some time on the Muppet Wiki.
0: Honestly, you should. I don't know who makes those. It's like the fandom wikis. Like, I swear, Mm -hmm. every TV show and movie has one. They are amazing. So thank you to whoever made that. Your dedication is admirable. (laughs) I want to start at the beginning as many stories do. And the beginning of this story is in 1966 when television producer Joan Gaines Cooney and vice president of the Carnegie Foundation Lloyd Morissette begin discussing potential ideas for new television shows. Through these discussions, they decide that they want to create a children's show that would master the addictive qualities of television and do something good with them, such as helping children prepare for school. After about two years of research and planning this show... Joan and Lloyd are able to secure a combined grant of $8 million, which is $56 million in 2020 money, Mm -hmm. from the Carnegie Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and the U.S. federal government. Author Malcolm Gladwell said that Sesame Street was built around a single breakthrough insight, that if you can hold the attention of children, you can educate them. Initially, the show's creators would focus on cognitive goals, meaning understandings, awareness, and insights, while addressing effective goals indirectly, meaning an individual's attitudes, choices, and relationships. While the show's initial goal was meant for all children, there was a special focus on gearing the content for low-income families, providing a chance for the playing field to be leveled in a preschool or kindergarten environment. The show would be split into various segments, the Sesame part being sketches of puppets interacting in cartoons and the street part being segments containing live actors singing, dancing, and acting. On recommendations by child psychologists, the producers initially decided that the show's human actors and Muppets would not interact because they were concerned it would confuse young children.
1: (laughs) Psychology has come so
0: far. (laughs) And I am so thankful it has. So Jim Henson the famous puppeteer was requested to make a few of these puppets that would then be included in the test pilot. But there was an understanding by the creators that if they couldn't get Henson on board, they should just make do without the puppets. So they're basically saying it's more of a live action show with a few puppet sketches. And if we can't get this one guy, we don't even want puppets at all.
1: Just trash the whole thing. Complete side note, I love Jim Henson. Do you? so much there is a lot of in- he as a person is just very interesting and i really appreciate him and love him but continue on
0: so at first henson was incredibly reluctant to join noting that puppets were a thing people of all ages could enjoy not just children as the country seemed to think but eventually he signed on for the greater good of the goal let's really quickly talk about the test pilot of sesame street because it's so different from what okay. we know sesame street to be today. In the summer of 1969, only a few weeks after the Stonewall Riots, the first of five test pilot episodes was broadcast to gauge the educational value and appeal to children. Rather than ongoing stories, the episodes were written as individual, curriculum-based segments interrupted by inserts of puppet sketches, short films, and animations. So, the pilot opens, there's this like really long theme song, which then leads into the first few scenes where a man and two boys talk about learning how to print letters in which they practice writing the letter D in chalk on the sidewalk. The next scene is a group singing a song which then fades into the main woman saying we'll be right back after this important message. This fades into a cartoon commercial about the letter D. This commercial then pulls out into an apartment where Ernie, a Muppet, is watching the D commercial and he loves it. He asks to see it again and the commercial plays for a second time. Back in the apartment, Ernie is joined by another Muppet, Bert. Ernie asks to see the commercial again, and he gets his wish. After the third showing, Ernie asks to see it again. Bert promptly shuts Ernie's mouth, and together they watch more segments, meaning scenes, cartoons, inserts, and commercials. Bert and Ernie appear in a few more Muppet scenes, but they're the only Muppets who actually appear in this test pilot. They're actually the only part of the test pilot that works. During the testing and research of this episode, it was found that children paid attention during the Muppet segments, and that their interest was absolutely lost during the street segments. So, regrouping, the network decided that the Muppets would become the stars of the show, and they would interact with the human characters, which just completely did not happen during this first episode.
1: Okay. It was like SNL for children.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And thus is born the Sesame Street that we know and love. So all of these Muppets are sketched and created, each character having a distinct personality that would drive lessons that the young audiences would watch. A whole slew of characters would, would be created and iconized. The show would teach children all over the country and then all over the world how to read, how to write, spell, count, discover their emotions, learn how to deal with those emotions, how to operate, just all of the basics of being a person. Let's shift our focus and focus solely on Bert and Ernie, because that's really what this whole topic is about. The pair is constructed from a simple sketch done by Jim Henson to appear in the test pilot. And if you've seen the two before, you know that Bert is the yellow Muppet. He has a unibrow, a bit of a cone-shaped head with a tuft of black hair at the top. He has an ovular orange nose, and he wears a white turtleneck and a colorful striped shirt. Bert's personality is serious, studious, and he is constantly trying to make sense of his friends' actions. He likes reading boring stories, collecting paper clips and bottle caps, and consuming oatmeal. Those are the things that he likes, and honestly, I sadly kind of relate to him. <laughs> On the other hand, Ernie is the orange Muppet. His head is a bit football shaped, he has black hair, a deep blood orange nose, this dopey smile, and he's wearing a red and blue striped shirt. Ernie is the naive troublemaker who loves baths and his rubber duckies. He's a bit more of a goofball, childlike, and a bit more out of control. The characters of Bert and Ernie are originated by Jim Henson and fellow puppeteer Frank Oz. Originally, Henson performed Bert, the yellow guy, while Oz performed Ernie, the orange one. But after just one day of rehearsing, they switched their characters. And a typical sketch containing Bert and Ernie goes something like this. Ernie comes up with a foolish or reckless idea. Bert tries to talk him out of doing said idea. Bert ends up frustrated and annoyed. And Ernie ends up dumbfounded. The example the Wikipedia page gives sums this up perfectly. Ernie wants to do something loud if Bert is doing something quiet, like reading a book or the newspaper. Bert teaches him how to be quiet. However, Ernie would still want to make some noise, which would cause Bert to either lose his temper or leave the room. The original idea behind these characters was to show that even though two people can have totally different characteristics, they can still be good friends. Bert and Ernie are best friends and roommates living in the basement apartment at 123 Sesame Street, and despite sleeping in separate beds, they share a bedroom together. And aren't really that shy about taking baths in front of each other, which has had many fans over the last decades asking the question, are Bert and Ernie gay? Over the years, the subtle queerness of their relationship seems to be evident to anybody who cares to notice. One frequently noted example is the holiday episode where Bert and Ernie followed the storyline of The Gift of the Magi, which, in the original story, a newlywed pair of lovers sacrificed their most beloved possessions in order to buy each other Christmas gifts. It's easy to see how someone who knows this story, especially adults of the time, could begin to think that Bert and Ernie are more than platonic. The two Muppets also appear on the front cover of an official Sesame Street album entitled Love. Their arms are around each other, they're smiling directly at the camera. And in an official Japanese Sesame Street magazine during the 1990s, there's even two pages where Bert and Ernie stand wrapped in each other's arms, dressed as a bride and groom. One page is entitled Weddings, and the other is called Hot Couple Awards. And it <laughs> and it showcases, like, various Muppet couples, and they're one of them. In a, I think Bert is in the groom's, like, tux, and Ernie is in like a dress and a veil.
1: Oh my gosh. So perfect. And again, for those people who may be saying they're just puppets, they don't have relationships. Other Muppets on the show have relationships. So so do these two.
0: Rachel Jean Craig, you smart Sorry, cookie. Sorry, did I
1: jump the did I did I jump the gun a little bit on that one?
0: You are so smart. Um let's get into it. Okay. <laughs> so despite you know all of these examples plus so many more the official Sesame Street statement has consistently been, no, they're not in a relationship. They're best friends. Eric Jacobson, the puppeteer who has performed Burt since 1997, believes that Burt and Ernie were modeled after the show The Odd Couple, in which two newly divorced men move in together because they have no other place to go, and one is neat and the other is a slob. All they do is argue and hilarity ensues. He's even said, in regards to the sexuality debate that, If you know the genesis of the characters, it's an absurd idea. The only issue with his argument is that Bert and Ernie appeared on the scene the year before The Odd Couple debuted, which actually is noted for its own queer subtext and sexual ambiguity of one of the characters.
1: Ooh, you got him! In
0: 2018, Mark Saltzman, 7 Daytime Emmy winner for his writing on Sesame Street, gave an interview to the outlet Queerty, in which he discusses a wide range of topics and touches upon the Burt and Ernie debate. In the interview, he contextualizes his own life and his time at Sesame Street. He discusses his longtime romantic partner, Arnold Glassman, a renowned film editor, and how Burt and Ernie were a reflection of the two men. When I was writing Burt and Ernie, they were lovers, Saltzman said. I didn't have any other way to contextualize them. After that interview went live and viral, fans around the world instantly went into celebration mode. Articles ran headlines saying the age-old question finally had an answer. Posts were made about the happy couple and their coming out. The official Sesame Street Workshop Twitter briskly took to the internet with a statement which read, quote, As we have always said, Bert and Ernie are best friends. They were created to teach preschoolers that people can be good friends with those who are very different from themselves. Even though they are identified as male characters and possess many human traits and characteristics, as most Sesame Street Muppets do, they remain puppets and do not have a sexual orientation. This statement provokes a lot of backlash, with fans expressing outrage and deep sadness, pointing out that the Muppets have always presented a wide range of heteronormative, and therefore implied sexual, expression, and that the statement purposefully ignores this sentiment and erases queer identities. Oscar the Grouch had a girlfriend named Grunjetta. The Count has had numerous female partners. Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy have always had a tumultuous and publicized relationship. I mean, they even get married at one point. Like, the list goes on and on. The tweet was quickly deleted, and then the account tried again, tweeting that they have always been and remain inclusive, but that the two Muppets were still just friends. Frank Oz, the puppeteer behind Bert, echoed and supported the original Sesame Street Workshop tweet, saying, They're not, of course. And I want to read a few responses to Frank Oz's tweets from fans because I don't think he realized it at the time, but his tweet along with Sesame Street's tweet had really big implications. Okay. One person wrote on Twitter saying that having the flexibility to see them as gay was good for me and the more voices I see confirming that they definitely are not is what makes me sad. Another writes, they're not gay, of course. Why? Because you don't want them to be? Straight beings don't have to be defined by their straightness because in our culture, all beings are presumed straight until proven otherwise. This is why we go wild when we get a hint of gay representation. Another writes, Because representation matters. When kids see their moms or their dads or themselves represented in media, it lets them know that they are normal, that their families are normal, and it's okay. It tells them that they are worthy of love and affection and that they deserve to be alive.
1: I think that that's not something that I, especially the first tweet really hit me about the idea that definitively saying something, it almost Mm -hmm. feels like an act of aggression. Like you had to say, like you were getting annoyed, you were getting frustrated by this, by this speculation. And that just the thought of it was enough for, all of you to turn around collectively and be like stop asking it's not true and making these like definitive statements feels like why Mm -hmm. why such an aggressive stance and why did you have to take that piece away from from people not to mention the amount of times that the reply has been they're just best friends that doesn't mean they also can't be in a relationship and doesn't mean also that being in a relationship or explicitly addressing sexuality in a TV show for children is unhealthy for children either. Children understand sexuality in relationships because they see them in their lives. So it's not unhealthy to also address them in the media they're consuming.
0: There was some data that I saw about like the viewership and it was like millions and millions of people as the years went on were watching. Like the amount of kids that were seeing this was such a big number that it's like out of all of those kids and out of all of those people watching there are going to be some that are not in like a stereotypical nuclear family They're, like even not not even just like straight or gay there are so many different families and the fact that yeah. they are going out of their way being like no this is not what's happening when you know that there are viewers out there that are you know can f- can relate to this kind of relationship and family right. situation it's like like, why would you go out of your way to completely negate that this could be a possibility? Like, it just seems so... Right. Unnecessary.
1: Especially considering, like, the one like the one original tweet said about their inclusivity, that Sesame Street is known for trying to be inclusive of the different children watching their show, especially hearing about its origins. And also, I feel like this comes up quite a bit recently with television and other media for children. Talking about relationships that are not heteronormative is not forcing sexuality or sex down children's throats like it's not there's far different representation that just because talking about people being queer does not mean your child is just immediately going to to understand what sex is like that's not how those things work and You know, I grew up watching Sesame Street and watching lots of other things. Did that completely inform who I am as a person and make me know what sex was at the age of five? No. Like, that's just not how representation works. And that's a huge frustration of mine. And I see that so much in this. A
0: huge part of it. And that's a lot of what these arguments from people that are mad about the potential relationship say, or that's what the arguments are about. So- after being challenged by his followers as to why Oz gave Bert a heterosexual orientation by default, he tweeted saying, quote, I have not had to think about my own sexual orientation as something that needs to be validated, end quote. And it's like, yeah, no shit you didn't. Because otherwise you wouldn't have so quickly been arguing that they weren't in a, you know, quote unquote, same sex relationship. It's like,
1: right, that's the point right. that people are trying to make to you. Uh, like that because you never had to consider that that's why it's important for other people
0: straight Mm -hmm. or
1: gay queer or not to see that representation to not have to maybe consider their own sexuality
0: and mark saltzman actually stepped backwards after the interview aired saying that his words were actually misconstrued he says that's what i had in my life a burton ernie relationship how could it not permeate The things that would take off Arnie would be the things that take off Bert. How could it not? And if we take a look around the years that Saltzman wrote for the show, starting around 1984, which is, to be fair, 15 years-ish after Bert and Ernie first appeared, this is right at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. People are dropping like flies, just like droves of people are completely vanishing. It's hard not to take your lived experiences, especially as a young gay man, and put them into your work, even if you don't inherently mean to. And this whole debate absolutely overshadows the importance of what Saltzman was saying in his interview, that he was able to represent marginalized voices through subtextual coding, because for forever, that's the only way that it was allowed to happen. In a time where the government wasn't doing anything to stop the epidemic, when homophobia was at rampant levels, when you were watching the culture and community be erased around you, it seems like Burton and Ernie's relationship through Saltzman's scope was a way to reaffirm himself and his own relationship. And the cultural impact of these two characters and their maybe or maybe not same-sex relationship has been far and wide, though, and... It's not a debate I see going away anytime soon. So, here's just like a quick little history um about some backlash about Burton Ernie potentially being gay. The 1990s for some reason is like really when we see this uproar and concern over the relationship. The TV ratings for the show have significantly decreased at this time too. Is this related? I'm not sure, maybe. But in 1993, Sesame Street and many of the Muppets characters go on tour. One town in Mississippi is supposed to be a stop on the tour, but, like, flocks of concerned parents rush to the venue demanding to know if the characters are gay or not. If the characters are gay, they're going to refuse to take their children and their families to this event, and if they are heterosexual, then they'll deem it as fine, they'll allow the tour to come, and they won't boycott it.
1: I find that so funny because... The first response was like, they're puppets. Leave it alone. But if they're puppets, leave it alone. Like, you are saying to people, stop being so concerned about representation. But then at the same time being like, if there's representation right. in this, I won't watch it. And they can't just be puppets. There has to be a meaning. Like,
0: it's just... You can't have it too... You can't have it both ways, Barbara.
1: It, it makes no sense. <laughs> it doesn't sense. work like that. No. No, you cannot.
0: Okay. In 1994, a Pentecostal pastor declares war against Bert and Ernie on his radio show. And the pastor says in his broadcast that the two vacation together and have effeminate characteristics. In one show, Bert teaches Ernie how to sew. In another, they tend plants together. If this isn't meant to represent a homosexual union, I can't imagine what it's supposed to represent. Are those not things that men did?
1: Like, God for God forbid a man needs to sew on a button right. or grow a fucking tomato. Like, illegal, <laughs> not allowed. Homosexual
0: not allowed. right to jail. <laughs> so what? Yes. And that same okay. year, the concern grows so much amongst parents and religious groups that the network and the Sesame Street workshop began to receive floods of letters and complaints. They respond in the same way as in 2018, stating that the two Muppets aren't together, the common rebuttal to this accusation of the Muppets being gay was, quote, they do not exist below the waist. In 2011, a Change.org petition goes viral, imploring Sesame Street to let Bert and Ernie get married, which sparks outrage and a debate from the conservative side of the aisle. The Change.org petition is struck down by Sesame Street, and even though they received thousands of signatures, it did not go anywhere. Sesame street kind of refused to acknowledge it besides being like, stop doing it.
1: I didn't with this. that They're so upset.
0: So upset. And in 2013, when same sex marriage is legalized in the United States, the magazine The New Yorker publishes an edition with the cover being a photo of Bert and Ernie snuggling on the couch watching this historic ruling, which almost actually incites litigation by the Sesame Street workshop against the magazine.
1: Oh my gosh, it's that's dramatic. And that's, like, oh, first of all, I love that. I want a frame of that. Second of all, relax.
0: Literally. And there's like many more examples that we could spend time talking about, but the point here is... Bert and Ernie have been brought into the quote-unquote gay agenda and have become a representation of queer relationships whether conservative viewing people and like families and religious groups care to believe or not, like the more that they tell us that Bert and Ernie are not gay, the more that we are going to push harder to show them right. in that representation.
1: Right. It's a, it's a complete cycle. And I wonder, and maybe there was something about this in your research. I wonder if it does have something to do with the fact that Sesame Street is funded by PBS
0: there was a tweet that I had that I did take out where someone was like jokingly being like the government is waiting to take away all of its funding to PBS. So please pretend that the two uh, characters that have been in a loving relationship for decades actually aren't or something along those lines. So I do think in their own interest, they have been making statements very adamantly being like they are not in a same-sex relationship like stop right. suggesting it like this is the official ruling but at the same time I f- d- it does feel like they're just being a little homophobic
1: yeah at that point I feel like it, it also feels condescending to like treating people like petulant children to be like just le- just stop it leave it alone right and it's all around feels very gross to me it's
0: like what are they ex- uh, okay never mind right, <laughs> like right. dropping it I could literally probably write an entire book about this topic, so I will start wrapping it up, but what this entire debate comes down to is this. Queer relationships, feelings, and identities are seen as more adult, more salacious, and more dangerous than those of heteronormative status quo relationships. For the media and for the adult population alike, there is a massive struggle to separate queerness from the act of sex. There is an inability to realize that queer people have lives and feelings and thoughts outside of this sexual deviance, as they like to call it, that is projected constantly onto queer identities and the community at large. Queer representation in children's content matters. Without queer characters and voices, we are erasing queer legacies, lives, and possibilities with one overarching sweep without blinking an eye. The fact of the matter is that children are not seeing two male characters in love and asking the question, but how do they have sex? How do they reproduce? What they would be seeing is two people in love and how they work through their differences. Nothing more and nothing less. Shows like Steven Universe, Legend of Korra, and Adventure Time are proving that queer storylines and characters can exist in children's content without the world blowing up and they are doing the work that needs to keep being done. In television shows like Sesame Street, where there are implied heteronormative relationships and sexuality, they need to give room and allow for alternative relationships and lives to exist because they are real and they aren't going away anytime soon. And that is kind of the little story about the argument over Bert and Ernie and if they are gay or not.
1: Thank you for sharing that with me. I really have no words. Like really just what you said to wrap that up, because I have all of those feelings. It seems like every other day there's some outrage on the news about some TV show or some type of children's media. And I just, you said it perfectly and I have nothing more to add. And I think I'm going to like save that as a note and just post it everywhere the next time somebody (laughs) says it. One more time in front of me. I'm uh, done with it.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. I do, and forever will say that Bert and Ernie are gay. You heard it here. Maybe not first, and uh, definitely not last. So keep spreading the gospel.
1: But we we take a hard we take a hard stance on that here.
0: We sure we're today. not afraid
1: to say it. We're not afraid to say it. Not at all. This is just a really interesting week. Um, definitely not as many similarities with our stories because I'm going to be talking about the Sacred Band of Thieves.
0: <laughs> so similar. So
1: similar. Do you know at all what that what that is? and ringing any bells for you?
0: I do. I know a tiny bit about it because, like every queer person in their lives, I did go through a like kind of Greek mythology, Greek history. Um, period a a
1: percy jackson phase yeah a percy jackson
0: phase i did identify with the greek gods and kind of like want (laughs) to be um a part of that that world so i do know um a bit about greek mythology and history and so the sacred band of thebes was something that was on my radar um but i definitely do not know too many specifics
1: okay i actually had just learned about it this week to do research for this. And I am, my research has just started here. This is certainly not it. And I'm going to go through our sources, but it may give, I think, away what our topic is. But I really want to just tell you as much of the story first before kind of revealing to our listeners what what it is. So we're going to be using an article by Daniel Mendelsohn for The New Yorker. Another article by Peter Presker for Medium. Another by Lily Wakefield for Pink News. The Sacred Band of Thebes, written by Joshua Mark on History Encyclopedia. And the Legacy Project's page dedicated to the Sacred Band of Thebes. The actual article titles will be listed for you, um, but I just didn't want to give it away.
0: Sneaky, sneaky.
1: So... On a summer day in 1818, I'm going narrative style this time. I don't usually go narrative, but here we go. I'm living for it already. (laughs) So on a summer day in 1818, George Taylor was riding his horse through central Greece. Him and his riding team noticed a stone in the roadway. This team of architects immediately began digging, noticing that the stone was part of a larger object. Evidently, the stone in the roadway was actually a six-foot-tall lion statue, often written about but never uncovered. The statue was a monument to the spirit of men that once fought at that site. Hmm. Those men were part of the Sacred Band of Thebes, a group of 300 troops that fought for the Grecian city of Thebes from 378 to 338 BC. This special forces unit was comprised entirely of gay men. Ding, ding, ding.
0: That's what I knew.
1: <laughs> there it is. Yes. So we, this week, are talking about an exclusive fighting unit of gay men.
0: God, what I would kill to, like, be there, be a part of that, bring it back, maybe. I don't know. It just, it sounds so sexy. Ooh.
1: It, it, really, you just gotta wait till the okay, end. sorry. It is, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I am, I, like I said, I can't stop reading about this. <laughs> So, at this time, for some context, in Greece, same-sex relationships between men were highly regarded. So, these men were the highest echelon of social status, since many people believed that same-sex relationships supported military morale and protected against tyranny, actually. They were like, the more gay relationships we have, the more we're protected and, like, insulated from tyranny. Sure. So, love that, I I'll guess. take it. Though... As I was researching, if you were curious, still at the time, anal sex was considered demeaning mm-hmm. and I didn't get into what the status on oral sex was. So men would only engage in intercural sex. Do you know what that is?
0: No, would you please define that?
1: I Oh, I absolutely will. It's also depicted on a lot of pottery, if you're interested. I've oh, seen it. Okay. So it's, it's not penetrative sex. It's essentially just like one person taking their penis and rubbing it. On the thighs of their partner,
0: mm. so yeah, yeah, I'm not so it's gonna like kink you. It's, it's like a yeah. grind.
1: It's like it's like a grinding, I guess, sort of situation, okay. but just like not not penetrative sex. Great. That was that was a little side note, but I just fun ancient Greece <laughs> fact for you.
0: Sure, thank you.
1: So, since same sex relationships were not out of the ordinary, it was no surprise that famous Plato, in his book. Symposium talks very specifically about the benefits that gay men may have for a military. He writes, quote, and if there were only some way of contriving that a state or an army should be made up of lovers and their beloved, they would be the very best governors of their own city, abstaining from all dishonor and emulating one another in honor, and when fighting at each other's side, although a mere handful, they would overcome the world. For what lover would not choose rather to be seen by all mankind than by his beloved, either when abandoning his post or throwing away his arms? He would be ready to die a thousand deaths rather than endure this. Or who would desert his beloved or fail him in the hour of danger? So this was kind of like the morale at the time.
0: It's just like they would fight so hard because they're so in love. That they would rather protect their lover, protect their partner, than just, like, stand by. It's, like, the perfect concoction for an army. Like, 300 men who are willing to fight to the death because their partner is beside them. Like, who's yeah. stronger? Who would be stronger than that? That's
1: ex- that's exactly it. Like, a ma- like every idea of a crime of passion like that's what it is it's like the motivation is love and there was no greater motivation than that like that's why people are like lift cars off of people and stuff you know like there's there's no greater motivation then love and so why not make a whole army about it
0: absolutely
1: so there is speculation as to whether or not this specific quote or this work by plato inspired the formation of the sacred band of Thebes. as the timeline that it was written and the start of this kind of gathering of troops remains unclear there may have also been another grouping of troops that were all gay as well but not nearly as well documented as the sacred band of thebes so this is kind of like the main one we have so regardless of the inspiration, in 378 BC, a general by the name of Gorgidas...
0: Sounds like a, a, a Taco Bell menu item, a Gorgidas. A Gorgidas? G- <laughs>
1: a Gorgidas. <laughs> yeah. What would that be a combo of? Okay, <laughs> so, so, so this general formed the Sacred Band of Thebes. Thebes, for those of you who may be well-versed in Greek geography, is in central Greece, mm-hmm. near present-day Boeotia. I don't know. That sounds wrong. But I don't know how many people are really familiar with Greek geography, but wanted to give it to you anyway. Sure. So as the army was being formed, if you like looked up qualifications for this job of this like elite military force, it would include just like athletic ability, spear work, and no one besides gay couples need apply. (laughs) And, and the other thing I was reading in my research was that, at the time, a lot of the higher ranking or like elite military members were chosen based on social status. But this was really just ability and the fact that you were queer in some way. Mm. So at its height, there were a total of 150 couples ranging from age 21 to 30, each with an older Erastes, meaning lover, and younger eromenos, meaning beloved. So they kind of function as like doms and subs. Part of their training, including an exchange of vows at the temple of Iolaus which was Heracles' lover. Mm-hmm. So this is one reason why they were thought to be called the sacred band of Thebes, because they exchanged these sacred vows to one another. And the idea behind this specific group of warriors was like we were talking about, that the men would be better fighters if they were doing it for the affection and pride and love of their partners. And so they were actually brilliant fighters they wielded 13 foot long spears and swords yeah huge insane they were like some of the best fighters of the time so the thebans were currently kind of picking fights with sparta to challenge their supremacy after sparta won the peloponnesian war Mm. so this led to the start of a new war between thebes and sparta about 15 years later during this time in 375 BC, the band, as I will now call them, <laughs> defeated 1,800 Spartan soldiers with just 300. So Jesus. just the 150, the 150 couples, there's 300 in total. So they defeated 1,800 wow. Spartan men in the Battle of Tegra. Mm. The Thebans' power had amassed now this great deal in Greece, thanks to the mm. band. Though it meant that once or if the sacred band kind of met their end so would thebes because now they were really dependent on their sort of elite forces mm-hmm. as as an army and as protection 40 years after their formation in 338 BC the sacred band of thebes fought in the battle of Caronia alongside Athenian troops against Philip II of Macedon who was the father to Alexander the Great oh so like that was I'm like name dropping a little bit yeah, here, you are. but that was that was that was fun to learn, and also maybe give some people a good idea of the time frame that we're working with,
0: right? And also the power that they're going against, like they're kind of taking on the yes. big guns, right? Like
1: yes, and a side note too. So Philip the Second, so the kind of commander of this army that they're fighting now, was actually at one time about 30 years earlier a hostage of the Sacred Band and was a beloved to. Pelopidas, who was the commander at the time. Oh, yeah. So he is like some connects.
0: Mm-hmm. But now they're going against him.
1: Yeah. Mm. But it's also rumored that the Macedonian army, so Philip II's army, was restructured using the band of Thebes as their kind of model because mm-hmm. of his time there as a hostage. But maybe the restructuring went a little too well because Philip II and his army defeated the Thebans during the Battle of Mm. Coronia. So this is where they met their end. The sacred band were outnumbered. And once all of the other Greek troops had fled, the band was given a chance to surrender. Instead, they continued to fight alongside one another. Their leader, the was he was killed trying to protect the body of his fallen beloved. None of the men surrendered. They all fought to the death. And it was reported that Philip II wept after this victory out of respect Mm. for the heroism and strength of the Sacred Band of Thebes. So... About 30 years later, in 300 BC, the stone lion that was uncovered in 1818 by George Taylor was built on the burial site of the men in honor of their sacrifice. The Order of Coronia, which is a secret society of gay men in England in the 19th century, was actually named after this battle. Mm. And hundreds of years later, archaeologists who found the burial site reported that some of the men could be found holding hands or with arms linked.
0: Aww. Yeah, so so
1: that was kind of there's not a ton of remaining information, but that's kind of the overall summary of the 40 years that the Sacred Band of Thebes existed. And I would say that the speculation as to whether or not there would be a stronger fighting force of people in relationships proved to be true.
0: Yeah, so suck on that. Don't ask, don't tell.
1: Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. I think reading this, I was so fascinated by it because if you fast forward to today and think about how everything is so wrapped up in masculinity and sexuality in the military, Mm -hmm. especially in America, and how recent Don't Ask, Don't Tell was and trans bands in the military and things like that, it is really fascinating to see that at one time, this was the Mm -hmm. highest regarded special forces unit because of... Like right. yes, of course they were good, but also specifically because of their sexuality, not in spite of. So right. it, it is it was very fascinating, I think, to read about the status of the men at the time. I I'm like a pacifist, like I don't think anybody needs to be <laughs> should be fighting, but I feel like it's def it definitely doesn't make sense to say you can or can't based on certain things. Mm-hmm. Um and so I do think that this is, this was just so fascinating to me. It felt like reading one of those old myths. And for right. so long, none of this existed. It all had to be kind of unearthed, quite literally. Um, it all just kind of seemed like it could have been one of those myths, sort of. But no, it was real. And it was a fascinating read. And I want to keep learning more for whatever else is out there.
0: Right, whatever can be found. I will yeah. say... That if we take the Sacred Band of Thebes and, you know, see how well they fought, and then we compare that to the 100-year war against for Helen of Troy.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: It was people fighting over someone rather than for someone. And that was a lot of bloodshed, a lot of nothingness. I mean, I bet she was very pretty, and I won't downplay that
1: i will say if if the greeks can do one thing uh well uh, they can do a few things but one mm. of the main ones glamorizing more for yeah. love oh my yeah. gosh i could get wrapped up in it yeah i could get wrapped up in all day like like helen of troy i just want to know i want to know her story like Tell me the story. I'm upset. Her
0: face. She launched (laughs) a thousand ships.
1: I know. This is what I mean. They can't hundred.
0: How many was it?
1: (laughs) They were. I think it's at the face that launched a thousand ships. I think that's correct. I don't know. Did they have that many at the time? It's quite. It's quite a few. It's it's so good. A handful. I was going to say the other thing. They can do well as Mamma Mia, but really that was Swedish people (laughs) You know, um, so yes. we I don't count that one. But this, I think okay. maybe that's why it was so fascinating. The idea mm-hmm. of like fighting for passion and for love. Yeah.
0: So a few things. Okay, tell me. How do you think Eddie would do in war? Not good. With you?
1: Okay. Well, with me?
0: Uh, well, if you were in, like a sacred band of thieves kind of situation, you and Eddie were in war fighting for each other. How's Eddie doing? I know you're not doing so hot.
1: Oh, Oh no, see, I think it's the opposite. I I think I think Eddie would, would actually do okay. And he's a very athletic, mm-hmm. he's a fit person. Both yeah. of us though don't really like confrontation very much. <laughs> right. But right, right. I think if it was like you have to save the life of someone you care about,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm an I'm a new woman. <laughs> oh,
0: know? okay. Wow. Principles
1: Principles out the window. Yeah. Morals yeah. gone. Completely. Completely. Cool. Cool, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. How about you? And
0: no. No. no I think I mean, you okay. would so here's my here's here's uh, this kind of leads into my other thing okay I would you know what maybe I would kill I would kill to be at the auditions or the tryouts to be in the Sacred Band of Themes like I would love to be like in the Coliseum <laughs> stands with like a bucket of popcorn okay Or like a hog leg or something and like watch them like try out to be in this army. I want to see them throw a 13-foot spear.
1: Oh, I thought you meant you would just like watch them kill people like in the Colosseum. I was like, that's arguably worse than what I said.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm not a monster. I would I would love to see like their rippling muscles in the sun, Mm. like the Grecian sun. Yeah. You know? That's what I would. I wish I could I
1: wish I could watch those like movies.
0: That mm-hmm. are just
1: the shirtless men with the porn. No, <laughs> no, no, those are easy to watch. No, like yeah. a full length feature film, <laughs> a full length feature film, like the Hercules movie, the
0: Hercules one, but it's like Hercules? a dumb
1: action movie. No, 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 not Hercules, oh. I so hurt. not that one,
0: Troy. There's
1: yes, like that, with Brad but Pitt. I can't watch them, sure, but they're, I can't watch it, it's too boring.
0: But if but, we were in person, but same
1: thing. Yeah, yeah, that's different. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So you I wouldn't. Make a good point. I,
0: thank you. I wouldn't kill to be. I wouldn't kill in the army. Like I don't think I would do well fighting in an army. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. who knows what rage I have locked <laughs> me. But I think I would kill to to see. Okay. The auditions.
1: The auditions. I love that they're mm-hmm. auditions.
0: Because, like you were saying, you had to try out. If you were athletic and inclined, yeah, you're in.
1: That's you true. Know. you're right. Yeah. So I think that that was a great question. Now it's gonna be my icebreaker for people is do you know what the sacred band of Thebes is? And mm-hmm. what would you give up to watch them audition?
0: <laughs> okay. Or before that, are you down in the dirt auditioning or are you up in the stands watching the auditions? There you go.
1: That's a big mm-hmm. personality indicator. That's a good yeah. point.
0: You're down in the dirt, and I'm watching No, 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 you.
1: I'm not. I, I thought I thought the question was, do I? Ha- if I'm forced, if I'm forced to, if I'm given the choice, no, I'm not.
0: <laughs> okay. To clarify. I didn't really clarify. give you an option.
1: To, okay, so to clarify, if I'm given okay. the choice, I'm not fighting for Eddie. If I'm okay. forced, I will.
0: <laughs> okay, good to know. Good okay. to know for any future.
1: <laughs> yes, in case it comes up again, make sure right. you have it straight. <laughs>
0: I'm gonna sign you up for the draft.
1: Oh my gosh, please don't, please don't.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for telling me that story. It was short, but sweet, and you know what? Yes. I um, loved it.
1: Thanks for listening. This was quite the adventure today. And
0: of course, yeah. Puppets and gay
1: Puppets Greeks. and Thebans, yep.
0: Thanks for tuning in to episode 12 of Historically Really Good Friends, where we talked about some pretty gay relationships. This is your weekly reminder that acknowledging the queerness of our history makes even wielding a 13-foot spear a little bit more fun. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. And to see photos from this week's episode, make sure to check out our Instagram at Historically Really. Please also send in your stories. And we hope to see you again next week. Goodbye! Goodbye.